Welcome to Finely Tuned. In each episode here, we're speaking with people who care about our built environment. This podcast is built by Gridium. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this conversation with Natalie Mims Frick and Tom Arnold. For the third time ever and second episode in a row, we're joined today by two people. Natalie is an energy efficiency program manager in the electricity markets and policy group at Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, while Tom is CEO of the tech company Gridium. I've invited Tom on given his over 10 years of experience applying peak demand and energy efficiency management strategies in buildings. This should be fun. My name is Millen, and I work for Tom at Gridium. Buildings use our technology to develop energy project revenues and streamline operations, boosting building value and sustainability. Today, Tom and I will be discussing with Natalie some of her team's latest research, summarized in the new reports from electricity efficiency programs. Natalie, we spent a good bit of time thinking about peak demand, but before jumping in there, I want to ask about your journey into the electricity grid, which included some time at the Rocky Mountain Institute. What was your path to LBNL? Sure. Uh, first, I want to thank you for having me on the show and also for uh, thank the Department of Energy for sponsoring our research. And to answer your question, I lived and worked all over the country before I landed at LBNL. And as you mentioned, I was at RMI, actually working in Hawaii and then in Colorado uh, after I completed my master's in Vermont. And uh, I headed to Tennessee after that and worked for a local nonprofit called the Southern Alliance for Clean Energy. And then went back out west to start my own consulting, and I was an expert witness in energy efficiency proceedings for a while. And I met my current supervisor, Lisa Schwartz, at that time, and I must have done something right because she recruited me to work at the lab after that. You were on the Electricity Markets and Policy Group at the lab. Can you tell us a little bit about this team? Yeah, sure. Uh, The Electricity Markets and Policy Group, or EMP, has about 30 people in it, and we all work on a variety of energy issues. And we uh, seek to make impact through rigorous analysis of policy, economic, and technical issues that support a successful transition to a clean, efficient, reliable, and affordable electricity sector. And we loosely group our research into seven different categories, uh, demand response and smart grid, electric system planning, electricity reliability and resilience, efficiency, renewable energy, Uh, technical assistance to states, and utility regulation and business models. So we cover a lot of ground. It's impressive. This is Tom. Um, Love the paper um, and very excited to see someone sort of tackle something comprehensively. One thing I'm just uh, excited to ask you is, uh, you know, how do different people define uh, peak demand? It, It seems like in one area of the country, everyone has a shared understanding of what peak demand is but it's really different all over the country. Yeah, there's, there's lots of different definitions, as uh, you'll see if you take a look at the paper. Um, it seems like in regions of the country that have, like, for example, ISO New England, in New England, they have a forward capacity market that allows energy efficiency to participate, and so they have a much more standardized definition that the energy efficiency program administrators kind of stick to, whereas in other parts of the country, uh, you know, the the definitions vary significantly. Um, It also depends on what the purpose of talking about peak demand is. Um, One of the simpler definitions that I saw when I was doing this research was from uh, the Energy Information Administration, and they define peak demand as maximum load during a specified period of time, which is probably the most basic definition that you can get to. 
The challenge ultimately comes in understanding where the maximum load is, whether it's on the transmission system, the distribution system, or if it's at the customer's meter. Um, and then what the specified period of time is, you know, is it one hour in the year? Is it 100 hours in the year? Is it seasonal? So uh, even a simple definition becomes pretty complex really quickly. In the past, costs and benefits of efficiency programs have centered on ROI's annual energy reductions. That's changing? Yeah, I think so. Cost-benefit analysis has always considered the value of the capacity savings from efficiency um, from a, a planning perspective. But I think that the policy perspective is really starting to change. And, um, you know, historically, energy efficiency goals for regulated utilities have been focused on energy savings, you know, like 1% of retail sales a year or something along those lines. Um, but I think there's a shift in the focus of how efficiency and other distributed energy resources can be used to uh, effectively integrate renewables onto the grid and address challenges of electrification and keep the electric system affordable and resilient. So, you know, I, I think there is a shift that as program administrators are thinking about energy efficiency, you really have to consider all of the characteristics of it, not just the energy savings. Interesting. And can, can you say more, your research touches a little bit of this, but can you say more about what, what the potential linkages are between a given grid's peak demand or system peak and cost uh, might be? Like, what, what are the relationships there that your research is, is trying to tease out? Yeah. So with regard to peak demand and cost, you know, the electricity system is being built to serve that last kilowatt hour of energy. and Subsequently, peak demand translates directly to the capital cost requirements of installed generation capacity that's being required. So um, if you're able to reduce that demand, then you can reduce the amount that needs to be on the system. Um, and also, you know, you can use it. You can use those other generating resources for uh, serving other purposes like reserve margins or other grid requirements. Um, and that should bring down costs and, and often does bring down costs. And so Anytime you can bring the peak demand down, either through efficiency or demand response or other DERs, you're most likely going to bring down, bring down your total system cost as well. And just to be clear, when, you, when you're uh, studying the energy efficiency, uh, you're talking about, I think in the, in the paper you say non-dispatchable. That's, that's different from demand response in, in terms of what... Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is something that I think um, is confusing to a lot of people who have looked at this paper because... Anytime you start talking about peak demand reductions, people um, generally kind of get into this demand response mindset. Um, but all of the research for this paper is around demand reductions from energy efficiency. And so it was it seemed like it was hard for some people to wrap their head around that, that efficiency really can reduce peak demand. And so uh, that's been interesting to, to see and try and help people understand that a little bit better. And is one of the differences that uh, energy efficiency, of course, except for uh, weather variability, is is more or less permanent uh, versus, you know, demand responses, you've got to work it to dispatch it. Yeah. I mean, once your efficiency is installed, it's there for the um, rest of its lifetime, right? So you, you get those reductions forever and not forever, for as long as the measure is viable. And uh, as long as it's installed correctly, then you're guaranteed those reductions to occur, whereas, you know, with dispatchable resources, you have to have some kind of participation and response. So what does it add up to? I mean, if you, you did a ton of research, I was saying, 
uh, really impressed in the in the scope of what you guys studied. Uh, and it must have been countless nights digging through filings and, and reports. But how does, at the end of the day, how does energy efficiency stack up um, in terms of its effect on peak demand? Yeah, we, you know, this was like the beginning of our research on this. So we didn't have a really strong statement at the end or a table compare, comparing you know, the overnight cost from EIA or Lazard to what energy efficiency peak demand reductions are. But generally speaking, we found that it's a low-cost way for utilities to meet peak demand. Um, and as we continue this research, we hope that we'll be able to make uh, stronger statements about how energy efficiency compares to um, other resources in terms of, you know, capital costs and, and what you have to put in to get out that kind of KW reduction. To measure this, your team built off of the program administrator cost of saving electricity. So first, what is that? And secondly, what is the new metric you created? Yeah, this work builds on some of LBL's foundational research on the cost of saving electricity. Um, the program administrator, which might be a utility or a third-party implementer. Uh, th so the program administrator cost of saved energy is expressed in dollars per kilowatt hour of electricity savings. And the costs include all costs incurred by program ad administrators, but not participant costs. So, for example, it includes administration, incentives paid to customers, evaluation, measurement and verification, marketing, things like that. And then the benefits or the kilowatt hour savings used are the lifetime savings uh, for that program. And we built on that metric for this study, and we calculated the cost of saving peak demand. Uh, which is also from a program administrator perspective. And the metric's a little bit different. It's expressed in dollars per KW saved. And uh, the costs are pretty much the same. And the benefits are just uh, the KW reduction, but we didn't look at the lifetime savings. We only looked at the first year savings. Both of these metrics are useful for comparing relative costs of types of efficiency programs and comparing efficiency options to other supply and demand choices. Probably the most important thing to recognize with this study with the cost of saving peak demand is that we didn't divide the costs between kilowatt hour and kilowatt, uh, and kilowatt benefits. So it's one program cost and it has kilowatt hour energy savings and kilowatt demand savings. And we just took that cost and applied it to both the kilowatt hour savings and the KW savings. So you can look at either one of those numbers for a program and realize that you're getting a lot of other benefits that aren't being recognized in there. So for example, if you look at the dollars per KW, it means that all of the energy savings that are occurring to that program are basically happening for free because you're wrapping the full cost of the program just to the KW savings. And we did that because we weren't certain um, of the best way to divide the cost between the KWH and the KW savings. And so we just took the total cost and applied it. So um, that, that's a pretty important thing to know when you start looking at these numbers. It's very interesting. Can you talk a little bit about the, the geographic spread um, here? There, there was quite a diversity, uh, and I guess this follows theory on uh, how uh, demand reductions map to climate zones. Is it easier in a dry climate, a humid climate, a warm climate, et cetera, et cetera? And, and that just might be interesting as well in terms of how those grids are changing across those areas as well. Yeah, we tried to get some good geographic representation and also get representation from different ISOs and RTOs as well. And so we had nine states uh, that we looked at for this particular study. Um, it was Arizona, 
Arkansas, California, Colorado, Texas, Maryland, New York, Massachusetts, and Illinois. I think that was nine. And so kind of all over the map. And we did also try and get different um, climate zones when we were picking these states and, and the data that we would gather. Unfortunately, none of this work is um, forward-looking, so there's no forecast involved with it. The data that we gather is all from, um, you know, evaluation measurement and verification reports or other kinds of regulatory filings that confirm the energy savings and program costs and demand savings that the utilities are reporting to their regulators. So it doesn't take into account how things might look in the future, but... Um, one of the sensitivities that we did look at was um, climate zones, and we wanted to test this hypothesis that programs with weather-dependent measures uh, would have a lower cost of saving peak demand in more extreme climates. And um, we found that the cost of saving peak demand does tend to be a little bit lower in states that are hot and humid, like Texas, or that are hot and dry, like Arizona. But we also found that in Illinois, for example, the utilities had a pretty low cost of saving peak demand, and they're in a cool and humid climate. So we didn't have any very strong, conclusive results about the climate zone. It seems like the program uh, cost was really what was driving the cost of saving peak demand. Um, but this is definitely an area for future research, and we're continuing to work on this project and build it out and gather more data from more states. And we're hoping with a more robust sample size, we'll be able to um, dig a little bit deeper into what those factors are that might be driving the cost of saving peak demand. And what did you find from program to program about which ones are mo most cost-effective? Yeah, uh, it, it tracks pretty closely to the cost of saving energy findings. Um, so residential lighting is uh, the lowest cost in terms of peak demand savings. And that was about, I think, 730 some dollars per KW. And then prescriptive rebates uh, for medium and large commercial and industrial customers was next. And then uh, small commercial and industrial rebate programs, residential HVAC, and whole home retrofits kind of came in next, and they were all pretty close together in terms of cost, like around the $2,000 to $2,500 per KW um, value. And then our low-income programs came in um, at the highest cost, which also is similar to what you find in the cost of saving energy uh, research that we've done. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Gridium serves the commercial market, and often we get lumped in with commercial and industrial. Yeah, um, I, I found those results intriguing. Could, could you say more about what do you think is going on there is in, in terms of the data on cost effectiveness in that sort of bucket? Yeah. You know, the way that commercial and industrial programs are categorized, you get a lot of different measures uh, in the programs. It's not the same as, say, a residential lighting program, which is going to be driven by, at this point, LEDs, right? Like a a custom program, a commercial industrial custom program is going to have anything from agriculture to industrial process. And so that gives you a very broad range of costs and subsequent benefits. So I guess just continuing on that CNI custom program example, we had a lot of um, programs that we were able to look at for um, this project. I think we had about 240 program years, which means that each program, you know, if it's implemented for one year, then it counts as one program year. And they were we looked at five years of data for the nine different states. So they're they're a pretty big part of the efficiency portfolio in the states that we looked at. And you know, they cover a broad range. It's industrial, agricultural, commercial. You could be looking at retro commissioning. It could be a custom rebate. 
Um, but we found that about a third of the programs had a cost of saving peak demand of less than $1,000 per KW. And then another third had between $1,000 and $2,000 per KW. So, you know, two thirds of the programs were under $2,000 per KW, which is relatively low. Um, we also found that for the custom programs in warm and humid climates, their costs were a little bit lower than in some of the other parts of the country. Um, and we found that the CNI programs that focus, the custom CNI programs that focus on retro commissioning, for example, in California, in Maryland, and Illinois, and Texas, um, were much more variable. So that, that was some of our higher level findings, just kind of digging into that custom section. I can talk more about prescriptive or the um, small business if we want, but I don't know how much time we want to spend on that particular topic. No, I think that's. I, I think it's really interesting and, and mirrors some of our commercial experience as well. Um, back to the cost question, I mean, this is kind of the million dollar question. You know, you've been super conservative. You've you basically said, you know, uh, what are the total costs, uh, not including any division of energy efficiency? And you come up sort of in the you know pretty reliably in the one to two thousand uh, dollar per kilowatt. Um, that's you know to me uh, that's a that's an encouraging result, and that would seem to be the conclusion from your study as as well. For those that aren't sort of familiar with capital planning and utilities, what, why do you think that, and why did you draw that conclusion from the data? Yeah, I mean, uh, in terms, I I think that as we start to um, get more focused and get better data for peak demand savings, that number is going to come down because it it really is. Uh, the highest number that we could come up with at this point in time. And it's useful for, um, you know, considering against your other supply and demand side options for the electricity system, you have to be careful when you're making those comparisons between supply and demand side because um, a natural gas CC isn't going to provide the same services that energy efficiency is or vice versa. And so you just have to be aware of uh, what exactly you're comparing, and it's not necessarily going to be apples to apples, even if it is just the quote-unquote capital cost. So it's useful to start thinking about how efficiency can provide demand savings and what those costs are, and looking at how it performs compared to other resources. I would not, um, there's lots of room for improvement in these numbers and making them more solid. And that not just comes from gathering more data, but also from uh, program administrators and utilities starting to be more thoughtful about how they're determining what those peak demand savings are and uh, coming up with more robust numbers and, and sharing them more broadly and being more transparent about the assumptions that go into them. Yeah, I think it's I think it's right. I mean, I think it's the grid of the future. And if you're going to work on the grid of the future, you've got to, you've got to work on these these kind of questions. Let me just come back to the cost question again and just reiterate it for the audience. Um, I mean, these are program administrator costs. Um, uh, the participant costs are not in here. Uh, again, why are we focusing on the program administrator costs? Um, why do you sort of uh, not include the participant costs of these programs? Yeah. Obviously, they join, yeah, obviously they join the program. Yeah, it's certainly a simplifying assumption. Um, in some of our other work that we've done, we have looked at the total cost of saved electricity, and that does include the participant cost. One of the major barriers to calculating that um, is that not very many utilities or program administrators provide that data. And uh, whenever you start mixing and matching your data sets, you know, taking participant costs from over here and program administrator costs from over here, you end up with, um, you know, less robust results. And so 
we typically only look at the total cost of saving electricity or potentially the total cost of saving peak demand if we're able to get enough data from the utilities about what they estimate participant costs were. So that is something we're considering, um, you know, as we move forward. But there's just not that much information that's being reported on what um, participants' costs are. Um, you know, not that many utilities provide it. Our study sort of reflects a trend that we see, which is utilities and grid operators are, you know, paying more attention to peak demand. Why is that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, as we have this increasing need for a more flexible and resilient electricity system with changing costs of generation and all of these different trends that are occurring, you know, from electrification to just needing to build up reliability and resilience, um, you really have to start thinking about what all of efficiency and other DERs are offering. Like, what what are the characteristics that they're providing to the grid, and what grid services do you need at what time of the day, at what time of the year, in what part of the country? And so, starting to dig into that and really think about efficiency as a resource, um, and not just this uh, thing that you install and it doesn't have any impact, is is uh, really, I think, starting to become more important. Let's say I'm a utility. What's the study's advice? Yeah, I can't reiterate enough the need for good data and the need to track um, the the savings that you are reporting and or that you're finding and, and reporting them accurately and being clear and transparent about how those savings are occurring because, you know, you can't um, manage what you don't measure. And if you're not measuring anything, then we're never going to be able to start building up this um, body of research or or articulate that efficiency really can be used in these ways that people haven't historically thought of it as a resource. It seems like you're at the beginning uh, of studying this, and yet you've taken it further than we've seen in the in the uh, in our little research about how energy efficiency as a resource contributes to to peak demand reductions. What what what's what's next? Yeah, there's so many questions that are left. Um, <laughs> we. Um, as I said, we're still working on this project. We're continuing to gather uh, more data from additional states and trying to get newer data from the nine states that we started with. Um, we're going to be digging in a little bit deeper to try and understand how program administrators or utilities take these uh, demand reduction numbers that go into their efficiency filings and transfer them um, over to planning or to procurement in some way that reflects that you know they don't need as much of uh, they don't need as much capacity or they don't need as much energy or they don't need some other type of grid service as much as they did in the past because of efficiency. And so it'll be interesting to, to learn about that. We're also trying to understand what the different definitions of peak demand are that are being considered. As I've been harping on, you know, trying to get to, to more consistent reporting and, and better understanding so that we'll be able to do robust comparisons across programs about what the peak demand costs are uh, for efficiency. Like, it would be great if we could look across a geographic region and say residential air conditioning programs cost this much and save this much on average um, and feel like we're, we're making a, a pretty solid comparison. But right now, it's, just, it's hard to tell if in utility A's territory, they're talking about peak demand reductions for one hour. And in utility B's territory, you're talking about peak dem demand reductions over 100 hours, you know. How can you really make that comparison and have it be robust? I, I don't think so. So well, those are all things that we're continuing to think about and, and, and wrangling. Fascinating. Yes, thank you, Natalie. This has been quite interesting and uh, really enjoyed it. Natalie, enjoyed the discussion and I hope our audience does as well. And look forward to having you back on the show. Great. Thank you guys so much. 
Okay, that's a wrap. For more episodes, go to the Gridium blog online or subscribe to Finely Tuned wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thank you.